right, Andrew, it is May the 31st of 2017. What are you into this week? What am I into? I am into lots of things, actually. Uh, as far as I'm reading, I am still plugging away through the Enderverse. Uh, I realized there were some books that I missed, uh, which is interesting. Also, I'm just kind of working my way through what's called the Ender Quintet. So I just finished Speaker for the Dead, which was a Hugo Awarded book back in the day. Uh, it was good. I liked it. Uh, definitely not an action-packed book by any means, but interesting. So I got some good thoughtful stuff going on. Maybe some not so good thoughtful stuff going on, but <laughs> worth reading nonetheless. So I'm moving on to Xenocide uh, with a brief foray into Shadows in Flight, which is a shorter book uh, in the Shadowverse. I'm also reading a nonfiction book right now called A Brewer's Tale. It's sort of like a history told through brewing. Uh, hmm. Very related to my interests, uh, recommended by a friend of mine. And uh, it's by, uh, he's like the, I forget the author's name off the top of my head, but he's like the beer and food guy for like the Wall Street Journal or hmm. New York Times, one of those two. Uh, <laughs> so kind of just like talking about interesting stuff and how, basically how brewing has been at the center of our culture and our history since the beginning, hmm. which is cool. I'm watching... I just finished first season of The Expanse. I'm going to talk about this a little bit, all right, because I'm pretty excited. Okay. Uh, it was really good. If you're looking to scratch that Battlestar Galactica itch that you probably have somewhere in the back of your head, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it fills that gap a lot. Some people say it's a combination of Game of Thrones and Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> I get why they say that. It's not exactly how I would describe it. It's a little more – I mean, Battlestar Galactica is pretty brutal, but mm -hmm. uh, it's a little more brutal than that in sort of like graphic violence and um, it's on sci-fi. So there's not like graphic sex as much, uh, but it's very much, I think you would like it because it's very focused on social issues. And, you know, even though it's 200 years in the future and we're colonizing the galaxy, we're still shitty humans at our heart. <laughs> uh, basic premise is that the United Nations runs earth. Mars is an independent power. There's sort of a cold war situation going on. Stuck in the middle are the belters out in the asteroid belt, uh, and they're the ones who are mining resources. Water, metals, air, things like oxygen, things that they can get out of all the asteroids. Uh, so a lot of the action takes place in ships and also in some of the bigger stations like around in like Jupiter's moons and Saturn's moons and things like that. So uh, it's pretty cool. I would recommend it. Apparently the second season is even better from what I've heard. It's based on a series of books, so I'm going to check those out at some point. Uh, I got to say that the biggest thing probably going for it is the effects are just, I mean, really, really good. I mean, you know, there is we all watch our shows, right? We watch Battlestar and Firefly and, you know, Star Trek. And it's like, all right, well, you know, space space stuff, they did the best they could at the time, right? Battlestar looked pretty good for the most part. Yeah, yeah. But, like, this show, just it looks like a movie. It's just really, really good. Hmm. So that's on Sci-Fi, so check that out. I think they're making a third season now, coming out soon. I'm not positive on time on that. Uh, as far as non-science fiction and fantasy stuff, uh, Shay and I just watched Master of None, the second season. Are you into this? Um, you know, I didn't get through the first season, but I'll let you, I'll let you uh, talk about it. Well, it's, uh, we're both big Aziz Ansari fans. Uh, I think he's a cool guy. I think he does cool stuff. And, uh, you know, there's parts of it I like, parts of it I don't like so much. I like that he doesn't feel bound by sort of like structure. Like some episodes are 18 minutes long and they follow kind of very typical dramedy kind of thing. 
other ones are just like 40 minutes long and do whatever they want. So I, I kind of like that. That's the appeal of like being in a Netflix show. It's breaking some of those golden rules that like every episode is the same length and you know, we got to follow the basic plot line of everything. Actually, I think some of the, in this season particularly, the one-off episodes that just explore something besides Aziz Ansari's love life are mm. some of the most interesting. And oftentimes he, he's got some really good, I think, social commentary on love and dating and relationships in the modern world in a, in a pretty good way. Uh, so lastly, what I'm playing, I've just really gotten back into Heroes of the Storm. Familiar with this? Yeah, it's uh, Blizzard's, right? Yeah. It's Blizzard's Dota. <laughs> pretty much. Right? Yep. Um, and they just released what's called, not you know, a couple, couple weeks back, I guess, 2.0. They sort of re-energize the game, reset, you know, re-revise some things. It's a major balance and addition, like balance updates and map additions and change the reward structure, kind of more match uh, Overwatch. And they did a lot of cross promotional with Overwatch is why I kind of got back mm-hmm. into it. Mm-hmm. And I kind of realized like, oh, I kind of like these games better than FPSs because I'm not terrible at them. <laughs> oh, no. So, no. yeah. But that's what, I'm, that's what I'm into. Well, cool. So I think tonight, we're going to try to go back and recover some of the conversation from the lost episode. Ooh. So, and this is going to be one of our mini episodes. So this is going to be mainly just kind of focused on news and current events. However, since again, since we're salvaging some of this from the mini episode or not the mini episode, the lost episode, some of the news might not be totally current. You might've noticed at the top of the episode, I, I kind of timestamped this. Because I think that um, as we start to talk more about news and current events and stuff, it's and things are moving very fast in the world today, uh, not only in, you know, kind of pop culture, but also just in general. I think it's good if we timestamp when we're recording this because it makes us sound less like dummies when, you know, six days from now this goes on the internet and, you know, we're completely wrong about something because, I don't know, let's say just hypothetically a movie changed directors. Yeah. Um, so, um, again, so not everything is going to be totally current, but I think um, it's still going to be worth talking about. So the first thing I want to talk about is, have you seen the trailer for the new series, The Orville? I watched it today. Yes. Yeah, so this is, it's Fox, right? Doesn't matter. It's a network. Um, they're making a really big budget sci-fi comedy live action with Seth MacFarlane. Uh, as the as the captain of the ship, Seth MacFarlane, you know, the guy who basically uh, has been keeping Fox alive for the last 10 years. <laughs> uh, and so the production values are really high. It looks I mean, it looks really, you know, at least in terms of the CG of the space battles and the ships and everything, it looks really uh, well produced. Um, but it's very clearly in the realm of we're doing a takeoff on Star Wars um, visually and the characters and everything. You mean Star and Trek, right? Did I say Star Wars? You did. God damn it. Star <laughs> Trek. <laughs> uh, okay. So, yes. Yeah, so it's, but a lot of people are comparing it to Galaxy Quest. Have you seen Galaxy Quest? It's been a long time, but yes. Yeah. And I think that is completely wrong i think if you think this looks like the galaxy quest tv show you're not looking hard enough um so and i think the reason i say that is because 
All right, I'm going to get deep in, in Star Trek nerd. Uh, gonna, Excellent. I, I, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to open my heart and spill it out here. One of the reasons that Galaxy Quest is great is that it starts out kind of like a parody of Star Trek. Um, kind of all of the absurdities of the some of the plot lines and the makeup and all of that. But what happens is the general plot of the movie is you have all these actors who are mistaken three amigos style for their um for their characters and are asked to all of a sudden, you know, be a, you know, a, a, a starship crew and defeat an evil menace. And what happens is they find that by living up to their characters and living up to the ideals of the show, they're able to be all become better people and not just be like shitty Hollywood types. So galaxy quest starts out as a spoof of of Star Trek but becomes a love letter to it because the message is basically Star Trek makes us better people. <laughs> if we can all be more like Star Trek characters, we will be better people. And that's a great message for <laughs> somebody like me who loves Star Trek. Uh, but the Orville more seems like it's almost like boy, isn't isn't Star Trek kind of dumb? And you know, you've got like the big alien who like, you know, talking about like how it goes to the bathroom. And I'm like, that's not really what this should be. Um, it almost looks like more like a workplace comedy that happens to take place on a spaceship, which isn't necessarily a bad idea. But I, I just think it's very strange that it seems like going from the trailer that it's really just going for the easy jokes, you know, poking fun at the obvious things of it's about Star Trek that you can poke fun at. And I, the reason I think that that's weird is because Seth MacFarlane appears to have a deep and abiding love for Star Trek, especially the next generation. Um, I mean, he basically, for one episode of Family Guy, he basically reunited the entire cast of the next generation um, for the episode. You know, he put Patrick Stewart as a major character in American Dad and, you know, the work he did on the new Cosmos series. Like, it's clear he he... He and he, I think he believes in science fiction as like a uh, a way to elevate us and all that. And then to see this trailer for this show that's basically like, ah, you nerds that like Star Trek, it just seems strange. And again, I know it's the trailer, I know it's got to appeal to the broadest base, which means you got to go with the really broad jokes that everybody in America can laugh at, which means they can't be too, you know, they can't be too sophisticated. So I get it, and um, I'm I'm curious but i'm also very very wary of this yeah I, I sort of i hope that it's falling under the knife of that like trailer syndrome where it's like not totally representative of what the show will hopefully be they just cherry picked like you said the broadest low brow kind of jokes to appeal to a broad audience and also that it's a little bit vague like it seems like there's some actual plot going on like mm -hmm. if you look between the line like between the scenes between the lines and like the thing so hopefully it's more than just a, you know, low-hanging fruit comedy. Like, I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it looks interesting. Like, and I agree with you. Like, the production looks solid. And it's got some good people in it. I mean, uh, the girl, his, Sophie Farron's XO, who is also his ex-wife, uh, which I just got that together. <laughs> such a bad, such a bad joke. <laughs> yeah. Um, she played Mockingbird on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh. Uh, and she's really, I really like her. A Adri uh, Adrian something Slavic. Uh, you think for like Great. a media po podcast, like I would know a lot of actors and actresses names, but I'm terrible at it. Uh, <laughs> so, and then also Martin 
also don't know his last name. Um, the the guy who gave him his job with the gray hair. Yeah. Uh, he plays one half of Firestorm and Flash and Legends of Tomorrow, and he's he's like for me like one of my favorite parts of those shows because he's like hmm. an actual good actor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, and I I I know it's easy to make fun of Seth MacFarlane, but I genuinely think he is he's a very very funny guy, and you know, family guy and his style of shows, they certainly have their problems, but okay. So here's the thing. Um, so like these big, you know, tent pole comedies on a network, right? They have to, and if you listen to Simpsons writers, they talk about this, like you have to have a joke every 30 seconds and you have to basically distribute in there a, some smart jokes and some dumb jokes. And you need a fair amount of butt jokes and then a fair amount of literary jokes because you have to appeal to everybody. And this thing has to carry all of America through 23 minutes of comedy. So you have to do it. And I and family guys, dumb jokes are painfully dumb, but their smart jokes are super duper smart. Um, and I actually think that American dad is actually a couple clicks higher. Like their dumb jokes are pretty smart. Um and yeah, I even like the Cleveland show because that almost just seemed like it was daring America to cancel it, which I loved. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I, I actually have a lot of you know respect for Seth MacFarlane. And uh, so I'm going to try to give this a chance. I'm really surprised to, to hear you as like a defender of Family Guy. I mean, like not that I have a strong opinion either way, but it's like it seems like that show that's like it's really easy for everyone, you know, to jump on and just hate. But yeah, well, I think that again, I think it's it's like – Again, anything that, that that has to have that broad of appeal, mm-hmm. it is going to be uh, – it's going to have – it's going to have some problematic pieces to it. And I certainly won't defend everything they do. I think that sometimes they go a little bit far on the um, kind of satirical racism and sexism where it borders on, wait, are we making fun of racists or giving racists – something to laugh at yeah. Uh, where it's so I, you know, it, again, I'm not, I'm not saying it's great, but I will say it is, I think that those shows are better than they get credit for. Yeah, I would agree. Otherwise you end up like community and cancel it after a couple seasons. So, <laughs> Hey, look, they, look, there are three good seasons of that show. I love that show. I have a lot of respect for Dan Harmon, but there is yeah. Three solid seasons and they're not even all like, it's just three seasons worth of good episodes. I've never watched the, the one on yahoo yet i still haven't done that uh, well <laughs> i wouldn't say you're missing a whole bunch <laughs> uh so yeah um speaking of another thing that's we got a trailer for uh castlevania which came yeah. real quick <laughs> yeah so so we talked about this a little bit on uh i guess episode 21 the most recent episode and we just kind of threw it into the rundown of like oh we have to talk about this because it only the trailer only been up for a day or two and i think it surprised all of us so I did a little bit of digging and, you know, trying to understand a little bit more about what this series is um, so that we might have a little bit more to talk about it. But so I I didn't know this until, again, I started researching today, but Warren Ellis wrote this thing. I, I had no idea. That's crazy. Yeah. So not – and this is the Warren Ellis who makes comic books, not the Warren Ellis who plays violin for Nick Cave. I – Always, I'm I sure know. we were all very confused. Yes, I know, I know. Um, so that's, I mean, Planetary is one of my all-time favorite works, and that's Warren Ellis. And um, also Red and Ocean and a lot of great stuff. I mean, War- also he wrote Dead Space, the video game. <laughs> like, so, so I'm feeling like he has some horror chops there. 
Um, and another thing he wrote, did you ever see the series G.I. Joe Resolute? I did not. It was on It was on Adult Swim. It was like a, a limited series that he wrote front to back. And this was before the live action movies. But it mm. was all the characters and most of the graphic design from the like the original animated series. But it was like PG-13 to R. Like in the first episode, Cobra kills 10 million people. Oh. Yeah. So like, like out of the gate, it's like, yeah, no, I mean, even though I know that's Destro and Cobra Commander, like they're actually terrorists now. Um, and it was really, really good. It was this great mix of acknowledging the kind of cartoonish absurdity of G.I. Joe, but still having it be kind of interesting and adult. And like just basically being like, oh, wait, so yeah, these guys are like high-tech commandos versus high-tech terrorists. What if we just played that straight and saw how that turned out? And it's really great. And so I feel like if he can take that same sensibility of marrying the absurdity of Castlevania with something that's, you know, kind of serious and interesting to watch, this could be really good. Yeah, I mean, I, I've never played any of the Castlevania games, although I've read a lot about them and watched a lot about them because that's the kind of person I am. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I'm, you know, I'm curious. I just, I, it, it looked cool from, you know, I like, I mean, the animation style looks pretty good overall. Uh, makes sense. The style they went with, I think. Yeah. And I think that it, I mean, and maybe this is just, you know, being a, a kid who watched a lot of anime in the nineties. Uh, maybe this is coming out and maybe I'm seeing things that aren't there, but I think that visually they are definitely trying to reference Vampire Hunter D and some of that kind of period of animation. Uh, Vampire Hunter D, for you, you child, is a seminal uh, kind of horror action anime. Like it was one of those back when you had to get anime at uh, Suncoast Video in the mall <laughs> and it was on VHS and you spent like $30 for like a 30-minute tape, uh, Vampire Hunter D and Ninja Scroll um like those were like the ones and like they were violent and they had boobs in them and it was very cool but vampire hunter d was kind of this revolutionary uh thing and had a very unique style and i think that castlevania is very intentionally referencing that which could be cool because the vampire hunter d is a really weird surreal almost psychedelic thing and that might be what castlevania needs yeah i'm gonna have to leave the uh anime like critique to you because i've watched Dragon Ball stuff in general, a couple parts of Gundam and Attack on Titan. And I think Attack on Titan scarred me enough that I never want to watch another. No, I mean, it's just that show is just brutal. But uh, yeah, but that sounds cool, though. I'm glad you, you see those hints in it because um, it's good to see they're relying on past things. It also seems I mean, the animation just feels a little bit maybe cheap and rushed in some places. And maybe that could be that they're still finishing it and, or that they did kind of hurry this thing out. So who knows? Um, originally I thought like, it seems weird that they're going to be releasing it here in July. Like why not give it a couple more months in the oven and drop it around Halloween? Like that seems to be right. It's Castlevania Halloween. <laughs> why not? Or maybe they're saving that, uh, that time for Stranger Things season two. Probably. I don't know. But um, I did. So apparently they're doing a kind of what Twin Peaks did, where they're releasing the first four episodes here in July. Um, and they're calling that season one, part one. And then the other episodes are going to follow at some date we don't know yet. 
And that's interesting. I wonder if that's a thing that like some new strategy where you kind of tease the first four episodes and then build up to your big premiere of the rest of the season or drop them, you know, periodically. It just seems like that might be a new strategy these streaming services are going for. Yeah, I I could see it being like, I think having it be like the continuation be unannounced is odd. Like I could see it kind of, okay, these four episodes this date and then these four episodes this date. Like I feel like you want to have that planned out, but uh, maybe it's also just a way to sort of like get back in the news cycle like on multiple mm. times like all right you know castlevania drop cool everyone's bad people writing reviews blah blah, blah. we're talking on the podcast and then like then we drop it but if it comes up again right. it's like, oh the new part of castlevania came out it's like how can we make six seasons out of one season for media hype <laughs> maybe i don't point. know so so what's going on I, you've kind of taken on the mantle of telling me what the hell's going on with the dc oh, cinematic universe so what's going on over there it seems weird yeah things are taking turns um it's a big news as many of you probably have heard at this point uh but we can get a chance to talk about it was that um very unfortunately uh, i feel very bad for him and his family uh zach snyder's daughter uh committed suicide a few months ago um very unfortunate. Uh, she's young. She's like 20 or 21, something like that, which you never want to hear. Uh, so sad times. But I guess he they kept it very private and he was just plugging away at the movie still. Uh, but then he said, you know, I, I actually can't do this anymore. I got to I got to be with my family. So I'm dropping out of finishing the rest of Justice League, which is basically just in post-production at this point. But I guess they're refilming a few scenes and doing some script tweaks. And that is being done by Greg's favorite, Joss Whedon. Well, if I have to choose between him and Zack Snyder, I'll take Joss Whedon. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, we both, I think, similarly had the thought that like, because, well, this this this, came, this news came out and then it came out that like, well, Joss Whedon had already been working on some of it already. And it's kind of like, hmm, are we sure it's entirely because of the tragedy? Like, I mean, I don't want to try and like diminish that because that's yeah. a big deal. That's not my it, goal with this at all. But it does feel a little ghoulish to talk about this, but if Joss Whedon had already stepped in, you wonder if – I mean, it was, it's probably multi-factored, right? Is that at some point, the, the, the powers that be decided to bring in Joss Whedon to maybe kind of right the ship. And the thought was maybe Zack Snyder can still finish this, but then um, these personal things happen in Zack Snyder's life. And that gave him one more reason to step away, maybe. Yeah. I, I, obviously, I can't be sure. And I, I certainly wouldn't want to give the impression that I think that Zack Snyder would use his daughter's suicide as some way to save face in, in a, you know, uh, to leave his movie. I, I absolutely believe him that the main reason he's leaving is, you know, due to this um, this personal thing. But I think that there is probably more to this story, and I, I really want to know when Joss Whedon got involved and what that conversation was like. It's, I'm very curious about that because I almost feel like at one point when, you know, maybe it might have been in our first episode, we were talking about how the hell do you fix the DC movies, and I think you jokingly said, "Had Joss Whedon come in and make Justice League?" Well, so that's, I, that's what that's what Marvel did. You know, before he made Avengers, he was doing like some ghostwriting and script doctoring for the other besides Iron Man, like the, uh, an incredible Hulk, like for Thor and for Captain America, like he worked hmm. on those movies, you know, I kinda, didn't know that. Yeah. Like not a lot, but like, you know, 
cleaning up some dialogue and changing some things here and there, maybe some stuff to set up for Avengers. I don't know. But like, then he made Avengers and it's like, okay, so that makes sense. But it doesn't make sense to me. And I've talked about this before. It's just like when we talked about him doing Batgirl, which is still happening, uh, he bitched and moaned for months in the media circuit after Age of Ultron came out about how he didn't want to work for a big company anymore. He wanted to do something he wanted to do and go back to something small and all this stuff and all the studio interference and kind of blame some of the issues in Age of Ultron on that, which like may, could, could be right. I don't know. Uh, I mean – Avengers was a really good movie, I thought so. Um, and I, I don't think Age of Ultron's a bad movie by any means, but it has just probably has some issues. I know you probably disagree, but uh, <laughs> but it's like, hold up a second, buddy. You didn't really do anything since that. And like, I mean, nothing. I mean, I know you help a little bit with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but that's mostly your brother's jam. So you just decide, oh, actually, never mind. I'm just going to jump back into like <laughs> the clusterfuck that is the DC like studio situation, which I'm sure is way worse than Marvel's from the sounds of it. But if, if the product is a demonstration, like what, what are you doing, man? Like, I don't so, know. I think that this is, you know, working on big tentpole features has to be a grueling thing. No. And I know that these people are well-paid and, um, well supported culturally uh to do these things but you know at the end of the day day to day it's a it's a slog i'm sure that there's a lot of pressure to get everything perfect and to have things you know again the studios are going to get involved and you're going to lose more and more control of the art and i think you know it this is the same thing i feel like the last couple daniel craig james bond movies you know as soon as he's done promoting those movies you know, once they're out of theaters, he's like, I fucking hate this. I'm never doing it again. And yeah. then like several months later, it's like, here's the title of the new James Bond movie. And it's still Daniel Craig. And I think that, you know, coming off of them, it can be very, very grueling. But then I think a month or two later and all of a sudden there's million dollar deals being discussed for a role you already know how to play. And it becomes easier to say yes to. So I, you're right. I do think it's interesting that Joss Whedon, you know, all of a sudden wanted to go indie again. But then, you know, so there might be, you know, the hard realization that indie ain't ever going to pay as well as blockbusters. And yeah. Plus, I also think that, I mean, he is a, still a big nerd at heart. And he probably is, you know, is a childish part of him that's thrilled to be making some DC movies because he loves those characters like the Marvel characters. I mean, he was the one who had that big wonder Woman pitch back in the day that never got made, got really yeah. close to getting made, you know? So, um, and speaking of apparently wonder woman is really good. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I guess, I guess they tried to trick me with their trailers, but yeah, the reviews are very, very positive. I mean, it's sitting at like a high 90% in Rotten Tomatoes right now, which like, isn't always perfect, but like when it's that high, uh, right. You know, yeah, I that 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 tells you something. That is, you know, you know, sometimes when things are like in the seventies or eighties, you're like, well, they could still be a real bad movie, but mm -hmm. the numbers could be lying to us. But it's rare that something is in the nineties and is not generally a good movie. So, yeah, I'm perplexed by that. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm gonna go see it. Maybe like I, I felt I was getting in my argument with a coworker today and he's like, he's on the, he's, he's on your train. He's like, I'm never giving DC another dollar after I went and saw Suicide Squad and Batman versus Superman. Like, but I was like, 
well, but if it's good behavior, should we re- should we reward it? You know what I mean? Like, should, it, plus it's like this is a cool it's a cool time. You know, it's the first female fronted movie with the first female directed superhero movie. So, and if it's good, that's great because I was really worried it was going to be good and people were going to oh you know uh, stupid you know women things you saw what happened when at the women's only showing at the theater in was austin or houston somewhere down there and people Mm -hmm. fucking rioted uh which is so dumb but um they also got banned in lebanon did you see that yeah that's some weird thing because she's israeli and gal gadot was you know served in the israeli army which is i'm pretty sure you have to yeah i think once you reach a certain age it's mandatory so it's like even that but i guess in 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 lebanon that's uh not okay so they'll miss out on that $300 or whatever they're going to get from those sales. Um, <laughs> but I, I do think point. everything I've read about the uh, – I haven't read much. So I didn't want to spoil anything and I didn't really care much when I was first hearing about it. But uh, everyone's crediting a lot of it to her that she's just like a really good – and I honestly, I'm not surprised because she was probably my favorite part of Batman versus Superman. I thought she's good in it and I like the, the way they portray her like both in a like visual way and also just like the way her attitude is and stuff. So – Cool. Cool. I mean, good for them. Uh, The only other little bit of news is that a lot of people thought this was the case based on, you know, initial pictures and the way things line up. But Aquaman is not going to be a a prequel in any way. Like it's going to take place after Justice League. So Hmm. a lot of people were thinking it would be like his origin story or whatever, but it's apparently not. So that's I mean, that's good news. Yeah. You'd be happy about that. He's a man in the water. I don't what. (laughs) kind of origin do we care he's aquaman he talks to fishes and he's also called drogo like whatever <laughs> like i don't need to know his i don't need to spend i only see the rise of atlantis because you know that this would be called the rise of something <laughs> i just I, no don't just do it just be like here look you want to see a movie with this stupid surf murderer in it like go watch the movie <laughs> speaking of rising oh yeah okay so yeah they this is old news by this point but i have a lot to say about it as i as you might expect if you listen to this at all. Uh, they announced that they are making a new Hellboy movie that is a uh, – is reboot the right term? Maybe. Yeah. I mean reboot generally implies it's a new origin story as well. But this is a new Hellboy movie that is divorced from the previous two movies. Um, all new people behind a new storyline and basically they're calling it a reboot. I don't – Let's not get technical about it, but it is called Hellboy, colon, Rise of the Blood Queen, which as excited as I was about the rest of this announcement, and I'll get to those things that were exciting to me, uh, that title just bums me right the fuck out because number one, every like genre movie now, especially big blockbuster tentpoles, like it's become such a cliche and such a mark of what has become a bad movie is with the word rise is in the title and it goes this cuts me extra deep because i think that hellboy uh the comics have some of the best titles you know titles of arcs or titles of individual stories that you can get and because they're always kind of mysterious and evocative and they make you want to like oh what is what is that about as opposed to um, oh, Rise of the Blood Queen. All right, so it's a vampire, and I guess it's her first time that she's showing up. Like it. So just to, some examples of some some names of Hellboy stories that I think are so much better, just to give you a sense of 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 
the gap between what they're doing and what they could be doing. And also, I mean, even just the title of the last Hellboy movie, The Golden Army, like that's like a golden army. Like, what is that? That sounds neat. I'm interested in seeing what that is. Um, so, yes, yeah, so there's some titles. Almost Colossus, The Conqueror Worm, The Sleeping and the Dead, Buster Oakley Gets His Wish, and one of my favorites, The Wolves of St. August. Like all of those, like they have that mysterious, evocative kind of – they're all they're, they're, they're really, you know, really tempting you to open up the book and see what that's about. Um, and the Blood Queen or the Rise of the Blood Queen, just it ain't that. I mean, even just call it the Blood Queen, and that at least seems more in keeping with, um, with the Hellboy conventions because, like, you know, there's a Hellboy story, the corpse, the chained coffin, like. It's just a thing that sounds kind of cool. And oh, let's see what that's about. So anyway, um, directed by Neil Marshall, who uh, directed some of the big, um, big action-y set PC Game of Thrones episodes. So Blackwater, which was the end of season two, the big battle of the Blackwater. Uh, Watchers of the Wall on the Wall, which was the end of season five. Doesn't matter. It's the one where there's the big showdown at the wall with the Night's Watch. So he clearly has some action chops. He also directed The Descent, which was a great small independent horror movie from maybe 10 years back about a bunch of women who go spelunking and things go wrong because it's a horror movie. So I think he has, you know, the the horror chops, the action chops. The question in my mind is, which way is this going to swing? Is this going to be more action-y or more horror-y? And I hope that it leads more horror-y because... The last two Hellboy movies were kind of action oriented and I don't – that doesn't work for me. I think that Hellboy has a very unique style of horror that's kind of quiet and sad and um, old and that's the Hellboy. I love the quieter Hellboy, the you know, where everything's just kind of, you know, covered in shadow and there's just a little like skull in the corner that just looks kind of lonely. Um, so we'll see. Uh, David Harbour who is Sheriff Hopper in Stranger Things, will be playing Hellboy, which I think is a fantastic casting choice. He seems a little bit more cuddly than Ron Perlman, and Hellboy needs to be a little bit cuddly. That's a weird uh, thing, but there you go. Um, Mike Mignola, the creator of Hellboy, is writing it along with Christopher Golden. They've worked together a lot. Christopher Golden has worked... um, I think he worked on the first couple of Hellboy movies as well, but... He's been collaborating with Magnola for a long time. He's been writing some of the solo books, some of the BPRD books. Um, And Andrew Cosby, he worked on the show Eureka, which was kind of this – I never really saw it, but it was this kind of – you've got kind of a normal sheriff in a town that's populated by essentially like mad scientists and other assorted sci-fi weirdos. So it's that mix of kind of every man confronting the – the paranormal, which perfect fit for Hellboy. Um, and he also wrote some horror type comics for Dark Horse. So seems like the pedigree is is right there in terms of the writing staff. And I will say I'm glad that uh, Guillermo del Toro is not involved because I don't I didn't like his interpretation of of Hellboy for the first two movies. I didn't like his kind of interpretation of the world. I think his kind of folklore fantasy style doesn't really jive with the Hellboy I want. Now, I will say I just watched just last week Crimson Peak, 
which was del Toro's kind of gothic horror movie. And it was actually very good. And I think it allowed him to stretch some visual muscles to kind of get out of that like Pan's Labyrinth style of visual design that he, you know, had kind of become known for. So maybe my mind is changing on that after having seen um, Crimson Peak, but still I'm excited for a, a new crop of talent to come at this because again, Hellboy is, is one of my favorite things. And I don't think that character or that, that world has been done sufficient justice on screen yet. So awesome. Uh, is Crimson Peak the one with um, Loki? <laughs> yes yes loki and jessica chastain and uh mia wasikowska who i can't remember what else she was in hannah maybe is it something is it like super spooky because it looked interesting but i was like mm, i'm a baby <laughs> um no it's not super spooky uh, i'll say that it's good the twist is pretty good um the visual style is is very good uh yeah I, I, I give it pretty high marks. It's, it's, it also in the early trailers, like there's a lot of visuals in it and it's kind of this decaying, uh, Gothic manner. And there's all these, there's all this mist and snow and stuff. I was like, Oh, so it's like Opeth, the movie. Like there's just something <laughs> about the visual style that really reminds me of like old Opeth albums that kind of had that decaying Gothic kind of graphic design. And also just something about the sound that kind of was like Baroque, but also really grim. Uh, yeah. O Opeth, the movie. I'm down with that. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that at some point, Greg, you're going to have to queue up a, uh, a Hellboy cannon catch up here in anticipation. Well, didn't you acquire the entire series for reading on, on one of your recent. I, I did. Uh, and I uh, didn't read any of it, unfortunately. <laughs> um, I, it's not totally my fault. I like, I have this tablet. It's a little older and I like wiped it and was going to like, Oh my, it's going to, this is going to be like my only for comics machine install every other app just so it runs as clean as possible. And it's still like pretty slow. So I got to fiddle with it some more and see if I can get it where I want it to be the, a comfortable reading experience. That's not frustrating uh, because you know, I used to sit at the computer and read comics on my computer screen for like literally hours back in like college. And now I'm just like, I don't want to do that, man. Like if I'm at the computer screen, at least do something a little more active. Right. So yeah, I uh, would like to be able to sit up on the couch and read that. But I mean, I guess I could go like buy a book or something, but uh, yeah, like a, like a, like a peasant, like a peasant. Yeah. But I mean, I guess I, I probably, I actually like to buy comics like in their physical format. Cause I think it's the one then it justifies a physical like price, like buying a book. It's like, well, I'll just get it on Kindle. It's not, does, nothing's different. Literally nothing's different. But for a comic, it's like having it in front of you and seeing the colors in the real world and everything, I just think does a lot more. <laughs> so maybe I'll see how much a Hellboy on the bus would, would run me. Well, I mean, at this point, the, the run is finished. So you could, you probably could find uh, the collected works or, um, you know, we're going to be seeing each other in, in real life shortly. So maybe I'll, I'll throw some of my trades your way and you can Ooh. get started. Sounds good. Uh, you want to talk a little bit more about, uh, you want to talk about this. Uh, we talked about this in the last episode. We're salvaging it, but I think it's <laughs> near and dear to your heart. So uh, Edge of Tomorrow sequel. Yeah. Um, so you haven't seen Edge of Tomorrow. I have not. I really want to, though. And it's it, it, this a lot of people hasn't haven't. And I think that's because it was promoted wrong. It was promoted as a kind of generic sci-fi action movie about people in power suits. And also it has Tom Cruise in it, which turns a lot of people off. 
Um, but this movie is actually more like what if Groundhog Day was also Starship Troopers? And it's this it's this really good conceit where every time Tom Cruise – so we're in a big war with some aliens. And every time Tom Cruise dies, he goes back to a certain point, um, you know, kind of earlier in the day or earlier in the week, like what, right when he joined the army. And so it kind of becomes this video game thing of like every time you die, you have to start over. But then he runs into Emily Blunt's character and she somehow knows what's happening to him. And they kind of work together to like do this perfect run to like beat the alien boss. And it's really, really good. Um, and it was promoted so badly. And one of the original, they changed the title a couple times. The original, it's based on a uh, manga originally called All You Need Is Kill, which I still believe is one of the greatest titles ever. Um, but uh, for a while, it was going to be called Live, Die, Repeat, which that sums up the the central mechanic of the movie. Good, cool, got it. But then they decided to call it Edge of Tomorrow with generic ass sci-fi title. And then once it came out on uh, Blu-ray, they were still technically calling it Edge of Tomorrow, but they took the tagline, which Live, Die, Repeat had become the tagline, and they blew that up really big. So now it almost looks like the title of the movie is Live, Die, Repeat. And complicating that, now that they've announced they're formally making a sequel, the sequel will be officially titled Live, Die, Repeat. But uh, Emily Blunt's character, who is really the kind of the star of the show, um, and it Tom Cruise does a great job playing this kind of like bumbling goofus who just keeps dying over and over again. And she is this like, you know, amazing legendary warrior who's just trying to get him to not be such a fuck up. But, you know, he has this time power, so she kind of needs him. Um, so she's confirmed. They're calling it a prequel slash sequel, which I think is great because the first movie plays with time and the fact that they're going to – again, it's a prequel slash sequel. So like, cool, good. Make this movie for me, please. Because the first one's really – really good as a sci-fi movie and as an action movie and tom cruise is not as bad as everyone thinks he is i know a lot of people have a weird phobia about tom cruise but uh he's he's good he's i never good, especially i never got this. that i never got why people hate i mean i can understand like not liking certain movies he's in i can understand not liking him as a human being but as an actor like he's i mean plays in a lot of good movies like yeah, he's 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 a very like he's charismatic on screen. He does a great job um selling the ridiculous things he's involved in. He's I mean his he looks great in action. I know that sounds kind of weird, but like that's what you want in an action star. You want them to look cool doing stuff. Mm -hmm. And he looks really cool doing stuff. He does his own stunts, which helps and he winks at himself and the popular conception of who he is a lot more than I think he gets credit for. He knows who we think Tom Cruise is. And mm -hmm. he knows that, um, you know, there's this conception of him. So like when he does movies like Edge of Tomorrow, where he kind of plays a doofus, like it works so well and he can sell that so well. Or there's some scenes in um, the most recent Mission Impossible where he kind of he's kind of winking at you about who he is and the movies he's in. And he's in on the joke of Tom Cruise. And, um, I, you know, he's always really enjoyable to watch. I know he's got, he's a problematic guy for his associations with, uh, the church of Scientology, which is evidently a, a 
even by organized religion stands, uh, standards, a very abusive place. And, and that's something that, you know, you have to reckon with. But yeah, as an actor, he's he's pretty good. I've been hearing that, like, there's some similar sort of like wrong marketing going on with this new uh, mummy movie. I'm going to call it Mummy Rise of the Mummy Part Rise just for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, people are saying, like, it's not being the trailers aren't really portraying like the the way the movie really kind of is supposed to be viewed and i don't know i'm wondering how as long as you wonder like how many movies you've just passed judgment on by a trailer that was or trailer and marketing put together like that just poorly portrayed what it actually is or, or tended to be i gotta say that that mummy looks bad yeah i, mean, I thought that too and somebody like, mean, oh, it looks amazing I'm like wait what are you talking about like, she, oh no I it's mean, not as yeah even just the costume on her just looks cheap and bad. Yeah. And I think maybe what's going on here is I, I think that having seen some of the trailers that Tom Cruise gets brought back to life at the beginning. You know, there's that scene in the trailers with the plane crash and he gets brought back to life. I'm thinking because I, he might end up being the mummy like he like she's going to like possess him and he's the bad guy in this. I almost feel like that's where this is going. Yeah, I, I could be wrong. I'm not sure. I mean, I, I trying people. I've been seeing some people talk about trying to think about because they've announced what they announced. They announced Bride of Frankenstein is the next one they're going to do. Seems which is, like a leap, <laughs> which is an interesting choice, being that we don't have a Frankenstein or Doctor yeah. Frankenstein yet. Um, and I think they also announced Invisible Man. Oof. So and Oof. now they're saying that they're trying. There's going to be basically a breakdown of like who's going to join. Nick Fury, I mean, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde's team. And then <laughs> who's going to be like the Alan bad guys? Quartermain, Alan Quartermain, <laughs> Mina Murray, the Invisible Man, um, Captain Nemo. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, I feel like we've done this before in some other uh, – maybe not. I, I must be making it up. But uh, but yeah, I'm just like – and people are like saying like maybe Tom Cruise is a mummy or like is he going to be – like because you feel like if you're going to make a franchise maybe or make a franchise out of this – you probably want Tom Cruise to be in it, right? So, yeah. So maybe maybe it'll secretly be good and it's being marketed poorly. I'm not going to hold my breath for that, but we'll see. Yeah, and I kind of think they are fucking up because, look, if you're making a dark universe based on all of these like classic universal or maybe now public domain monster properties, how the fuck are you not have – do you not have Dracula on the schedule? Yeah. That's well, who we want to see. I remember originally the most recent Dracula movie, I think, was going to be the start of this new universe. But then I think it didn't do well. So they scrapped that and made the mummy the start of the new universe or something along those lines. Yeah, I think you're right. Although I didn't see I that mean, one, but uh, we'll see, I guess. I mean, I, I'm curious to see what goes down with this whole dark universe. But like, it's, you know, I'll tell you what's going to go down. It's going to be bad. <laughs> Heard it here first, I guess. Uh, other sort of like revival things going on, you know, Judge Dredd TV show, uh, Judge Dredd Mega City One. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're making a, a Judge Dredd TV show. They're calling it a police procedural where Judge Dredd is not necessarily the main character. It's just him and some other judges in Mega City One. Although now that I've had some time to think about this, how do you make a police procedural in the Judge Dredd universe, the police procedure in the Judge Dredd universe is they are the judge, jury, and executioner. That's the whole idea. There's no procedure. They see a guy, they think he's a bad guy, they murder him. That's <laughs> the whole point. 
Um, but the other thing, so they are making a Judge Dredd TV show. It's very important to talk about who they is in this scenario because they is the video game studio Rebellion, who apparently own all of the rights to Judge Dredd outside of comic books now, which is insane because, again, it's not just, oh, they have licensed this out to some movie house or TV house. They Rebellion is making this television show. Rebellion... Uh, their most recent claim to fame is the Sniper Elite series of video games, which a certain kind of weirdo really enjoys. But that's it. They've never made a television show. They've never made a movie. They've, I don't know that they've ever even made a good video game. This is nonsense. Yeah, I, you know, I said there seems like it's going to share some of the production stuff with the movie, which I think was really good. Yeah. Uh, And, but, uh, you know, I hope they can, if they, you know, I doubt they can afford Carl or Urban, but, uh, you know, if they could tie in with that, I could see it, you know, maybe, I mean, I, I think more, more studios should pursue this like movie than a TV show, maybe another movie down the road kind of thing. Like if, the, if, if they can, because I think that it's a way to keep some of these properties that maybe can't quite stay afloat on off one movie to justify 10 more, but. I mean, I think, you know, that, that Judge Dredd movie was low budget enough and focused enough. I think you can keep doing things like that if you take more of a almost Hong Kong action movie approach where it's just like, look, we're going to come up with a scenario that is going to involve our guy who's going to go and do some cool stuff and we're going to get 90 minutes out of it and that's going to be that. Because that's what that last Judge Dredd movie was. It all took place in one apartment building and it was just he's getting from the bottom floor to the top. Yeah. Like – to, 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 to beat the boss and that's it. And so you just come up with another cool thing like that. Like, you know, he's got to move from one end of a like completely deadlocked freeway to another in order to catch a perp. And there's your 90 minutes. It happens in pretty much real time. And you just, you know, you just, it's about coming up with a scenario where you have this shallow, stupid character just to, you know, give him an excuse to do some cool action sequences, move beginning to end. Don't overthink this, man. Don't try to make this a television show. It ain't yeah. going to work. Uh, what do you mean shallow? So, so what, what do you mean, Greg? Come on. Like, you know, like, they should go deep into, like, the Judge Dredd mythos, like, with, like, the, the dead judges and, like, the alternate realities and all kind. Come on, man. There's, I'm just kidding. I, I don't know any of this stuff. But. <laughs> yeah, no, it's all a bunch of, it's all a bunch of <laughs> weird nonsense. Comic <laughs> books in England are weird. Yeah. Uh, so well, I guess we'll see what becomes of that. I can see that one sort of be one of those, like, we're doing this. Yeah, it doesn't really ever pan out and happen, you know, but, uh, I don't we even got know this, if it was a release we took date. this far enough, ju- this, this contract just far enough to have legally exercised our option on it <laughs> so that we can keep it for another 10 years. <laughs> Very possible. Uh, speaking of optioning movies and a unique approach, uh, man, the se- segues are tough sometimes. Um, <laughs> so we discussed in previous episodes that the Brandon Sanderson Cosmer universe has been picked up by uh, DGM, which is like a, I guess, big movie company. They're trying to find, they're trying to pitch it to studios though. Um, and the way they're doing this is they've invested a lot of money into making a virtual reality experience, which I assume is computer generated. Um for instead of like, you know, normally only when you have a pitch, you come in with some storyboards and some concept art and you have, you know, the, the writers talk about what their plan is. And then, the you know, the the rich movie exec 
with his cigar and his, you know, escort on his lap, talk if they're going to, you know, <laughs> take it or not. That's how I envision it happening. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Um, instead, they have to take the cigar out and put a, you know, a virtual boy on their head and watch <laughs> this basically like a mini, you know, mini short about the sort of like show you this is what this movie's going to look like. Almost like that Deadpool. I mean, like the like the little, you know, like the, the yeah. what are they called? Uh, proof of concept. Proof of or, concept. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's good enough. Um, and so they're doing this. They did this for Stormlight Archive, which uh, based on what he was talking about, how you could see it. And I guess at first, Sanderson was kind of like, eh, you know, I don't know. This is a couple of things. Like, no, it's really cool. They came to my house and like showed me it. And it is awesome. And uh, I just thought it was a really unique way to try and drum up support for these movies that are going to be, as we discussed last time. Uh, potentially could be in our minds for the next 30 years. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, well, and I think that it's, it's, yeah, I think you're going to start seeing more and more of this, especially because, you know, you think if you're shopping around a fantasy series, right? You're shopping around like I'm, we're going to make the new Star Wars. It's going to be long term. This is a franchise for the next 30 years. You guys really want to get on board. I have a feeling that, your average producer has been hearing that pitch a lot <laughs> over the last couple yeah. of years. So anything you can do to make your project stand out and not be because they're going to say, you, yeah, that's what they told me about the Maze Runner. That's what they told me about uh, Divergent, that you know you, this is going to be the next big thing. What else you got for me? I know you sold a bunch of books to nerds. <laughs> what else you got? And being able to have something that you know really jumps out at you, that seems like a good idea. Yeah, I mean, I, I would have to agree. I mean, you think that everyone's trying to be the next, everyone's trying to be the next, take, combine the complexity and the nerdiness of Game of Thrones and like the six, the commercial success of like a Lord of the Rings or Star Wars, right? And some of that's on TV and there's been some failed starts at some series and, you know, you're always nervous. We talked about the Wheel of Time series. It's upcoming at some point in the distant future, I guess. And you just worry because like if you botch it the first time, you kind of, it really, it's hard to get it back moving in. Some things can, can revive itself from that, but very few things can. If you fuck it up the first time, it's probably not going to get made for another 10 or 20 years. Oh, yeah, easily. I mean, if you think about Lord of the Rings, I mean, that for a very long time has been the best-selling fantasy novel series since like the 50s or 60s. And they made some Lord of the Rings animated features back in the uh, back in the 70s. And then it was 30 years before anybody touched that thing again. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that they want to they wanna drum up enough support and they're investing in it to try and make this the next premier A-tier A movie, you know, meet movie franchise, which, ugh, like, I mean, I love this guy and I love his books and I think they're great. And I think they can make good movies, but they're also just, it's just a lot, man. I mean, you're talking about turning... We see what happens to the Game of Thrones, how bogged down it can get, how slow it can get, and yeah. his stuff's even more complicated. So, I don't know. I'm curious, but, I mean, people can be, get creative. You don't have to follow it word for word by any means for the 1,200 pages that are in those full of words. So, we'll see. I mean, focus yeah. on the action scenes and stuff. Let's let's start with that and then go from there. I don't know. Yeah, I, I would be interested to see, and again, Mistborn is the, so far, the, the first Mistborn book. Is so far the only Sanderson I've read. So, but I get the sense it's fairly representative of of his style. I think how you translate that because so much of it is about the way the magic works and 
your character is learning to use the magic and the magic's role in uh, in society and in the economy, et cetera, et cetera. That could be a very boring movie to watch. Like that exposition can work on the page in a way that I don't know that it can work on the screen. So I would be curious to see if someone tried to adapt uh, adapt this into into the screen. I'm not sold that it's possible without really really watering it down. But yeah, who knows? We'll see. Yeah, that's a, I think it's a point well made because if you think about the successful fantasy properties we've had recent times, the big ones being Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, Game of Thrones. Oh, I'm going to put Harry Potter in like the fantasy and uh, air quotes category. But like, and you get exposition in Harry Potter because they're in fucking wizard school. So, of right. course. Uh, but like in Lord of the Rings, there's narrative exposition, but there's not magic system there exposition because there isn't one shit just happens and in game of thrones pretty similar you know it's like there's some magic but no one really knows how or why or you know even even when brand's up at his own much more miserable wizard school um (laughs) it's not you know it's not like he's saying and this is how your green seeing works it's just like you have a gift right and and what you will you know understanding how the magic works isn't a key point of the plot like we don't need to know how the magic works in order to understand how they eventually take down the big bad right it's just like oh so he can like see the past and sometimes the future cool got it moving on just like you know um gandalf can sometimes like shoot kind of light out of his staff cool got it moving on um but again with with the sanderson stuff at least from my limited experience like the magic system is such a big part of the world building that I yeah, I don't know how you do it without setting an entire um, season in wizard school and good God, I'm I mean I, again I'm reading uh, Wise Man's Fear and so far where I am at, at the book he's like taking a semester off and I'm like oh thank fucking God like <laughs> thank. God, I really, really hope that the next thing that happens is he decides not to go back to school because I can't take it anymore. Yeah, um, it's uh, I think that for Mistborn. So here's here's a plus about Mistborn for an adaptation is that the effects aren't crazy because really there's no flames or lasers or hex signs. It's just like I'm flying around and sending projectiles, essentially. It's, It's wacky physics. Yeah, wacky physics, which is much cheaper than other things. Stormlight Archive, on the other hand, and there's no there's no dragons or crazy creatures. Like you might CGI the Inquisitors potentially, but like probably don't need to. Like it's maybe not cheaper, but like it's I think it's easier to pitch that because it's like well, it's not going to be a huge CGI budget to get right. some of that stuff done. Um, even right. Whereas Stormlight Archive is it's a high fantasy series and. You know, we're only just starting to get some of the really intense magic stuff, but like the main sort of like knights wear giant magical armor and they have jo- swords that are like seven foot, like anime swords that cut through everything except each oh, other man. and the thing. <laughs> so there's mechs. They have <laughs> ba- mechs in Stormlight Archives. And and basically like horses that are like semi-intelligent that carry the people in magical armor <laughs> to go to go fight the giant crab creatures. Like it's a lot more like it's a lot more high and the, the, the environment's very different. It's not earth like much, you know, it's just, it's a, there's big storms and it's just like, it's like a, it's a very, I think production heavy idea. So it's epic. It makes sense to go this route. Yeah, it really is. I mean, that's the point of this. He wanted to do his own 
high fantasy, like mag, you know, sure. massive series. So sure. But we'll see what happens with that. Well, I think that about wraps it up. That's all the, all the news that that's fit to yammer about. Um, is there anything you want to recommend before we go on our merry way? Um, recommendations, huh? Nah, <laughs> we go, we go, I'm going to recommend to go back and listen to one of our old episodes and get one of the recommendations for them because we've given a lot and there's no way that it, your average listener has gone through them all yet. So, <laughs> and there's like a, there's like a three in five chance that you're going to be recommending an Orson Scott card book anyway. Well, I do tend to recommend things I'm currently reading, uh, because you start to run out of things <laughs> that you've read, but, um, I'm going to recommend to you stop reading a wise man's fear and go read the next Westbrook book instead. No, I look. I'm. I'm. I've. So just. <laughs> I know we today, done it last week, but just today I jacked up my listening speed on my, you know, on my audiobook yes. sphere up from one point five to two point oh because I'm like I am getting to this now. Two point oh. That's so yeah, man. fast. Look, they just I sound like Alvin and Chipmunks the whole time. <laughs> kind of. But it, you know what? It's getting me. It's it's getting me through. And there are there are some moments of that book where all of a sudden I'm like, oh shit, this is what I'm reading about. Like when he uncovers some new facts about the Chandrian or about the Emir, and I'm like, oh oh good 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 cool. Now great, we're getting to it. And then it's like, no, let's do two chapters of him with his friends at the bar, with just this and just the narrator is just this insufferable fucking smartass, and I can't. Ah. So I don't mean to derail us from ending our episode here, but speaking about adaptations, <laughs> now that you're, you know, what, maybe not quite halfway through this book yet, right? But like maybe a quarter. I would say maybe a third, close close okay. to a half. So you're like third halfway through. And they're going to make a TV show out of this. Remember that? Yeah. So it's just going to be like hanging out at school, right? Like that's going to be, it's like Saved by the Bell, but, you know, with magic. I don't know. I'm just like, as I read the book, I was like, how are they going to adapt this, man? Like, it's not just putts and about. And I honestly, I almost feel like I'm, I'm, this is one of those things where I'm reading this and yeah, there are, there are some good parts to it. And I, there, there are good bones to this thing, but I wonder like why this thing like took the fantasy literature world by storm. And like, this was like the, the thing. And oh my God, you've got to read Rothfuss. And oh my God, people are ripping their hair out for book three. And I'm like, I'm ripping my hair out for book two just to be over. Yeah. So, I think, I mean, I think his better. writing is really like his writing style was something people really liked, which I don't like people. Oh, his prose is so great. And it's like, I don't really see that as much. I think his prose is good, but I don't think it's anything like spectacular. And I, I yeah, mean, it's, I, it's very cozy to read. Like it's, it's a very relaxing kind of like sit back in the fireplace with a pipe kind of read, but like, it's not as gripping as I expected it to be. No. And, and I think that he, he could stand to learn a little bit of Sanderson is really a really tight economical writer. Like there is, there are no wasted words on Sanderson's pages. There are no scenes in those books that are unnecessary or don't really go anywhere. And Rothfuss's stuff just feels a little bit more indulgent in that way where it's just like, what is this, what is this scene for? And what does it matter that like, why do I need another scene? This weird, these little plot loops where he loses his loot again and then he finds it. And it's like, what did that have to do with anything? Yeah. 
You know, I, I'm reading pages and pages and pages about this loot case that his like kind of girlfriend got for him. Yeah. And then the payoff is later when he's involved in a shipwreck off screen. <laughs> okay, let's uh, talk about that for a second. Like, the, 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 then we can pay off the the loot. Like, hey, my loot didn't get wet. I'm like, well, what the? Come on! <laughs> if you're gonna give me a chapter, if you're gonna have a chapter in the book, uh, you don't you don't give me all this time about the loot case and then just gloss over the goddamn pirate attack. What's wrong with you, man? I, I was like, I almost stopped at that point. I was like, hold up. I just spent, you know, two years or whatever in school and there was a pirate attack and shipwreck and all this crazy stuff. And you're like, well, that's a story for a different day. And I'm like, no, it's a story for now. <laughs> well, and he did it. He did it like a chapter or two before because there was this time when like the, you know, the cops show up because of yeah. some shit he got into it in the first book. And it was like, oh, no. Yeah. Shit's about to go down. And then they pull out to the framing device and all these people are talking about like, oh, it's this legendary trial. And I'm like, finally, something happens. Turn to the next chapter. He's like, yeah, it, that happened. If you want to, you can go read the court records if you really want to know about it. Now, let me tell you about this pie I ate. Like, it's just like, I can't, you almost feel like it's a joke. Yeah. Like, is, is this some kind of like meta spoof of fantasy fiction? Because good God, I, I'm, I'm hate reading it now. That's what's happening. I will say that one of those people that there's some uh, like what happens next for you is still slow, but I think there's some more interesting things. There's one part that's just like, I think once again, you get a glimpse where it's just like, holy shit, shit's going down. But it's like towards the end. It's like, okay, if this is supposed to be three books, right? Like, when are we like, I don't know, just you'll see. But uh, keep at it. Well, I'm I'm at this subplot now where we're trying to figure out who's poisoning the mayor. And I'm just like, I know this is going to have nothing to do with anything. This is just going to, I might as well just skip ahead five chapters and see what, see what happens. Because how does this add up to anything that we talk about in, you know, any of the story that was promised in the first chapter of the first book about a, you know, some really cool magic battle that happened years ago. And then a really cool magic battle that's about to happen. And then it's like, no, let me walk you through the day-by-day changes in my bank account. Yeah. So. Uh, I think that you will you will be – you'll be relieved by some things that happen and increasingly frustrated by other things that happen. Well, I'm going to get through this thing as fast as I can. Maybe by so, the time we talk again, I'll be done. So you wouldn't recommend a wise man series, what you're saying? <laughs> you're, you're giving the anti-recommendation for a recommendation section? Well, you're getting to that point where you're like – you're like, I, I don't know that there's anything this book could do in the remaining two thirds that's going to make up for the crap I've put up with for the last book and a book and a half, book and a third, <laughs> whatever. But no, I would not recommend that book. Uh, no, I would recommend doing something other than reading A Wise Man's Fear. All right, folks, you heard it there. <laughs> All right, buddy. I'll see you next week. See you next week. <laughs>